because we want to lift our eyes to the Lord. To allow God to lift others through us. Because God's grace is greater than the gravity of life. ago I was living in the San Francisco Bay Area when the Loma Prieta earthquake hit and it was a massive massive devastation and I drove a relief truck of supplies uh, our church um, really rallied to address the needs and I was down with the relief truck in the ep- area of the epicenter and just to watch just how everybody's the fabric of everybody's life was suddenly shattered in such a devastating way and how much it meant to those who had survived the disaster that there were others there that were standing with them in the the pain, that were helping them just um, put one foot in front of the other, that were wiping their tears. And and it reminds me again, even in our age and day, that at any given time, in some part of the world, in some part of our neighborhood, maybe in some part of our family, there are people who are dealing with the heartbreaking gravity of life. It may not be something that is as crushing, literally speaking, as, as suffering through an earthquake. Uh, it may not be uh, something as devastating as the kind of persecution that the Jerusalem Christians we talked about uh, last week, or the Macedonian Christians, or many of the people who live around the world today under persecution are dealing with. But all of us, and the people in the circles around us, are feeling the weight of life. It might be a financial pressure. It may be a relational breakdown. It may be a a struggle to find meaning or to to keep going in the face of of a mental health issue or crisis of some kind. Everywhere around us, there's this this gravity. And, And Christians have been people who have dared to believe that there not only is a grace that presses up against this gravity, that's greater than that gravity, but that God calls us to be agents of that grace in the lives of others who have been pressed down. And that's really what this whole series that we've been involved in is all about. It's about our reawakening to the amazing role that God has given us to be ones who help bring that lifting grace in the lives of others. I had an experience, uh, last two weeks I've spent a little more time than usual just doing what you would just call routine, uh, regular pastoral care. And I found myself in the presence uh, over these past weeks uh, of people uh, dealing with with crushing illness, with devastating, life-threatening illnesses. And when I say people dealing with it, I mean not only the person who has the illness, but the loved ones around them who also feel the weight of all this in a a very painful and palpable way. And I've gone into these situations uh, trying to, to minister to the people there. And what blew me away in so many of these encounters in the last 10 days or so is how these people ministered to me. How much in the midst of what they were going through, they still believed in the grace that is greater than the gravity of life. And, and, and they talked about how that God, they, they trusted God, that he was working in and through them and in spite of their circumstances. And, and, they, and they wanted me to know just how much they felt the hands of the church upon them in meaningful ways at this time, lifting them up, and how important they felt the local church was uh, as, as the community of faith that helps lift people in the midst of the struggles. 
So we have had this conversation over these last couple of weeks, and I know the theme has very often been about, about money. And I know that always uh, stirs up some, some hackles for people. But really at the core of it, it's about discipleship. At the core of what we've been talking about is the call to follow Jesus in a way that allows us to be used by him to lift others towards their God-given potential. So if you're just joining us today, thanks for, for entering into the conversation with us. We do not always talk about these things in the life of our church, but we have been excited to talk about it in this particular season because really it's a rediscovery for all of us in the life of the church of some of the, of the basic movements of life that, that the Christian life are really fundamentally all about. And I've talked about this in terms of five fingers of faith. The sort of five fingers of, of faith, which when exercised, enable us to be uh, further in alignment with Jesus and to join him in helping to lift other people up. So I want to just quickly refresh us as to what those five fingers are and then talk about the last one today and its implications for us. So the first finger of faith, as you may recall me saying, is the finger, is the one in which we really answer the fundamental question Jesus asks of everybody. Will you follow me? Will you follow where I lead you? Will you, will you make um, my voice so important to you that, you that you lay down whatever nets were holding you and follow after me? I know that my own uh, life has been transformed by answering that question. I wish I could say to you that every single time uh, I felt God prompting me to do something difficult, I've said, yeah, I'm following you, you know? Every time he's prompted me to face some sin in my life or to confess it uh, to others, uh, every time that, that he has prompted me to ask for forgiveness for my wife or one of my kids, or, uh, every time he has called me to forgive other people, every time he has asked me to take a, a servant position when I want to be the important person in the room, every time he has uh, called me to, to, to uh, zip it up and just listen or to talk to a stranger or to give financially more than I was comfortable doing, I wish I could say, oh yeah, every time, Dan, Dan went, yeah, Jesus, I'm with you, I'm following you, I'm going where you're leading me. I haven't I haven't always done that. But I will tell you that every time I've said yes, it's led me someplace better than I was. I will, I've never regretted <laughs> saying, yes, Jesus, I will follow you to the places he tries to, to take you. And I hope that's your experience too. And maybe that's like one of the big hopes we can all have for each other in this year ahead of us is that more and more we'll be listening for his voice, for his prompting, and we'll be saying, I will go where you lead me. So that thumb, that, that affirmation to Jesus is the first finger of faith. The second finger is the finger of trust. Um, it, it's to say, I will trust you to provide for me. I will trust your promises when you call me to follow. It's probably... Um, maybe it doesn't even need to be said, that, that we don't follow for very long somebody who doesn't prove trustworthy, right? I mean, that's a stupid thing, actually, to keep following somebody that, that we really can't trust, uh, who is not really out for our best interests. And I think that one of the major reasons that Jesus built a larger following than any other human leader 
in history, and I want us to pause and just take that in, like there is no other leader in human history that has had the followership that Jesus has had and still does. Uh, but one of the major reasons why he has the followership is because people have found through the centuries across cultures and times that he's trustworthy. That when they step out and follow him, his promises are good, his provision is true. And so they're willing to keep following. And, and, I, and I hope and pray again that as you and I move forward in this year that we'll keep trusting him. I'll follow you, Jesus, because I trust you. It's the second finger of faith. So based on this trust and this followership, Christians are people who then prioritize Christ, his church, and his kingdom. Uh, Christians are people who have chosen to put first the things of God when they could easily put other things first. Jesus said, as we uh, studied together, uh, store up treasures in heaven, not on earth. Seek first the kingdom of God. So I want to invite you just to a personal exercise on this. As you look back on the first six, seven weeks of this year, 2023, where can you say, oh, I, I prioritized. I prioritized Christ, his church, his kingdom. Um, where in, for example, in your, in, in maybe, you, maybe it was a moment where you were handling a conflict, or maybe it was a moment where you were making a difficult resource decision. Or maybe it was a moment about how you, to, to use your time or your talent, or maybe it had to do with how, what patterns you set for your children or for your family. Where did you make a choice when you could have flipped God off and put him first instead? Where would God have watched you and smiled because you were seeking first the kingdom of God? And where, where could that happen in the hours ahead? Um, then as we explored last week, how's it going with the theme of surrender in your life? That's the fourth finger of faith, the, the theme of surrender. We are constantly being uh, called to pursue success in various measures. Uh, that's the, that's the, the voice of our age, calling us to some version of success. As we grow spiritually over time and we gain maturity, um, success begins to become less important to us and we often move to a stage where what we're looking really for now is significance, where, where, where we're moving from success to significance. And by significance, I mean now we're starting to think about all the ways that our life can gain greater meaning uh, or, or more virtue. Um, and, and we may think that's actually the end goal of the spiritual journey, is to finally move from success to significance. Uh, as I said last week, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with success or significance, but it's not the end point of the spiritual journey. Uh, the last stage of the most beautiful kind of life journey is, is all about surrender to God. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, the ring finger of faith, in a sense, is, is going all in with God's purposes and his person. Uh, no matter whether that feels significant or successful at the moment. 
So this is a hard thing, I think, sometimes for us to do. I will confess it's been a hard part of my own spiritual journey. Because there's something in me that, that, want, that is always wanting to turn the way of Jesus into a self-help strategy. You know, something which, if I do it, will sort of lead to my own personal advancement. Now, strangely, as I've thrown my lot in with Jesus over the years, uh, a fruit of that has been, I feel like I have become better than I was before. But if that's the purpose, if, if that's our, the reason we're following Jesus is for that reason, then, then, we, then we're prone to, to missing one of the most important parts of spiritual transformation. And that is, the call of the spiritual life is not to self-fulfillment, uh, it's, it's, it's dying to self. It's dying to all those parts of us that are selfish, that, that are insecure, that want to put our, our own uh, comforts first. And, and as we learn to die to that, you know, to, you know, Jesus wasn't, Jesus didn't do all the dying on the cross. He called us to follow him and to take up our cross. Um, as we do that, strangely, an even greater kind of self happens. It, it, it emerges from the, from the death of the old kind of self. In fact, that's what St. Paul meant when at the end of his life, he said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And, and he was rejoicing when he said that. You know, I used to live for all kinds of other sorts of success and significance. I was a Pharisee. I was a successful lawyer. I had admiration. Now, writing from prison, in a dank prison, when he's a failure in the eyes of the world, he knows that, that this amazing thing has happened, that it's no longer he who lives, but Christ now living in him. And Jesus himself says something like this in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he says, yet not my will be done, but your will be done, Father. I, I've confessed to you, Dad, I don't want to die. I don't want to endure pain. But if it's your will, if, if, if I can fulfill your mission, let your will be done. That's surrender. And ironically, it's the ones who surrender to the way of Jesus that experience the greatest kind of significance in life but only through that surrender. So I'm hoping and praying that all of us are on this journey where less and less are we thinking about God or Jesus as our resource and more of, and more of God and Jesus as, our, as the source of our life. And we're no longer kind of looking at Jesus as our part-time consultant. We're seeing him for who he is, and that is our living Lord, the one who's present, who's, who's paying attention to every detail of our life, who cares about all of the things that we do in life, not just when we're in the religious buildings, but he's watching us and, and giving his grace to us everywhere we go. And we will be at the final stage of our spiritual evolution, as it were, when we're mainly a pipeline now for the flow of his grace, his truth, his love into the lives of other people. That's, that, that's the prayer I have for my own life, that, that by the end of my days, I'm just mainly throughput. That I've, I'm not even thinking about myself anymore. I am only thinking about how he gets glorified and how this person in front of me is blessed by his grace moving through me. And I invite you to, to join me in praying that that's what ultimately happens uh, for you too. All right, I want to close out my contribution to this lift series today by talking about the fifth finger of faith. 
It's the pinky finger. It's the little finger. And it's an amazing finger. <laughs> uh, because what this finger is about is, is the, it's the finger of commitment. It's the thing that we, that we need to really hold on, in a sense, to the way of Jesus. And I want to invite you uh, to join me in committing in, in a deeper way than maybe is natural to you to fulfilling God's vision and, and to believing in his power to work through us regardless of the obstacles that we face. And I want to think about that with you by taking you to a very fundamental story in the New Testament. And we find this one in Matthew chapter 27. If you've got your own Bible with you, you might enjoy opening up. Or if you don't have a Bible on your phone, uh, you, you want to get one of those because then it makes it easy to follow along. Because you want to check and make sure I'm actually telling you the truth and not just... So read the Bible and, and hold that as your highest value. Matthew 27 at verse 32, listen to the word of God. They came to a place called Golgotha which in the Aramaic language, the most primitive form of Hebrew, means the place of the skull. There, they offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with gall, but bad tasting stuff. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. In other words, Jesus is being taken out by a group of soldiers to be crucified. And after they get him up on the cross, they hammer the nails through, the, through the, the wrists, the hands of Jesus, through the feet. They hoist him up. They drop the post in the hole. Jesus is now in this place of agony. They offer him up on a spear tip, a sponge that's got this wine mixed with gall, and Jesus refuses it. And I want us to notice that. He, it was an anesthesia they were offering him, and Jesus says no. And he, 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 he leans into the full pain of, of the cross uh, for our redemption. He was committed to it. This is the first little image of the commitment he has to doing what he's doing on that cross. When they had crucified him, these are the soldiers again, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Uh, so Jesus is now mostly naked on the cross. Maybe he's got a little loincloth of some kind. Um, and, and sitting down, they kept watch over him there. I just, I've always thought this was an amazing irony. They're keeping watch over him. This is God that they're messing with. Who's, who's really watching over this scene? But this is their perspective. And above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Now, now take in what's going on here, because this is really important not to let it just be a story. Think about it. On that cross is somebody who is, has been accustomed for all eternity to being robed in glory, in absolute splendor and comfort by virtue of being divine, of being the ultimate originator of all things. And now he has been stripped naked by a bunch of idiots. The most brilliant being in all of the universe has, been, has had all of his clothes taken away by people who, who were to him what bacteria are to you. Which is to say, maybe important in the scheme of things, but not 
beautiful. And the most beautiful life of all has been stripped now by these people. And he allows them to mock him. He permits it. Uh, They call him the king of the Jews. Who is he really? The Lord of the universe. And, and, And they're mocking him for even pretending to be a king when he is actually the king of kings and the Lord of all. And, and he deals with this. He puts up with this. Why? Because he is committed to his calling. Totally committed to his calling. The story goes on. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right, one on his left. Those who passed by, and by the way, Golgotha was, was the crosses were erected on a major thoroughfare just outside the city of Jerusalem that people traveling by would, 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 it was like a highway. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, and Jesus had said that, tear down this temple and I will raise it up in three days. He wasn't talking about the literal figurative temple. He was talking about his body. They misunderstood it. And now they're mocking him. You are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. So get this. So first he's being mocked by all the regular people going by. Now he's being mocked by, the, by all the religious people. In the same way, they mock him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. And in the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Now, it's really hard to do justice to what's going on here. Um, These people think that Jesus is powerless. Do you think Jesus was really powerless? The one who calmed the storm, who changed the water into wine, who fed the 5,000, who healed the paralytic, who restored the sight of the blind. You think just because they've tacked him to a cross, he's powerless? But they think he is. They treat him like he is. They're mocking him as somebody who, if he was who he said he was, could easily spare himself from this pain. Yet ironically, what they miss is that it is precisely because he is exactly who he said he is. The Lamb of God, the sacrificial Lamb who will take away the sin of the world. It's because he is who he said he was that he is enduring this pain, that he is taking this shame. He has committed himself to the cross because of who he is. Jesus is suffering this horrible death in order to fully identify with the horrible ugliness and injustice and devastation of sin. Jesus is is letting his blood be spilled and poured out from that cross, from his hands and his feet and from the scars on his head, from the crown of thorns. He's doing all of this to pay the absolutely full price for our salvation. Every drop of blood given to pay that you and I might go free if we put our trust in him. And so from noon until three in the afternoon, 
darkness came over all the land. It's as if the whole creation, right, is now echoing um, the darkness in the human heart. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which in Aramaic means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, the scripture says he gave up his spirit. Another translation of this same part of the story in one of the other gospels says, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he took his last breath. He let it out. The breath that once upon a time had infused dust and made it humanity just expires. Even though it meant the material loss of everything he had on earth, even his clothes, even though it meant enduring undeserved social insult, even though it meant enduring physical pain at a level I just pray none of us ever has to know, even though it meant feeling the gravity of sin and death in a way that made him feel for a moment utterly forsaken even by his Father in heaven, Jesus kept his commitment to our salvation. And this this, wherever it's been understood, <laughs> has just changed the commitment level of those who follow him. I mean, it just, it, it makes us think differently. And, and even more so, because it really take this part in, this is probably the most important thing I'm going to say to you. All it would have taken was the flick of his all-powerful little finger to stop the whole process. I mean, just the little finger. And he could have instantly transformed himself, uh, transported himself back to glory. He could have just, he could have uh, blown up all of his assailants. He could have dissolved the entire universe with just the flick of his little finger if he had chosen to. Yet he remains committed to our salvation regardless of the cost. Now, when I think about this, um, it makes it almost embarrassing. It does make it embarrassing. It makes it seem really small for me to talk about my commitment to Jesus or my commitment to doing the work of Jesus. But I want to talk about that briefly with you um, and encourage you to be thinking about your commitment because that giant commitment he makes is at some level meaning to inspire a different level of commitment for all of us in doing Christ's work. Um, when Amy and I um, got pulled into the Lyft initiative and it was clear that our leadership at the church felt like, yeah, we need to, we need to stretch. We need to, 
to do the things God, we feel God's calling us to, we, 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 we're going to go after a sort of a bigger kind of vision for these next couple of years. And we're going to invite everybody to help us with it. Uh, I, I just, I will be honest with you, there's a part of me that just withered when, when, when I realized, oh, what the practical implications of that were. <laughs> uh, because really, in a, in a sense, what this is about is this initiative, the Lift Initiative, is our way of doing something even more substantive to, to imitate the generosity of Jesus. It's something all of us can do to be part of his continuing work in the world but as we thought about what this would mean in my household, even though it wasn't like not even close to the commitment level of the cross, it felt very difficult. And I'm going to be honest with you about why in our household, so that you, so that you can be honest with yourselves about what it's like for you at this moment. Um, our kids are now out of college. We had three boys. We put them all through college. We paid 17 years of private tuition, private college tuition, private school tuition, 17 years. That left a mark on our fam fi family finances. Uh, uh, we, we, we have been through a season of time where um, we have prioritized the, the things of God, but you know, even though my wife looks 40 and I look 100, uh, we're, we're both in our 60s. We're in a season of life where lots of people would think it'd be good to have paid off that mortgage, and we've still got a big mortgage. Um, inflation has made life more expensive for us, just like I'm sure it has for you. Uh, our 401ks are higher than they were five years ago, but man, they've taken a huge hit in the last couple of years, as I know many of you have experienced. We went all in for the Take Root Initiative, which was our la church's last big push back in 16, 17, and 18. We went hard into that. And, and went as sacrificial as we could to try and help that happen. We still give substantially to Christ Church every year. And I'm the chairman of the board of Fuller Theological Seminary, and we're in a $150 million campaign there. And as the chairman of the board, I felt like, gosh, I have to set an example there too. And so we've made a commitment to that enterprise. Can you see why it's been tempting for us to take a pass on this one? to say, you know, hey, we've, look, over 25 years, we have really committed to this church in all kinds of ways. Now it's somebody else's turn. <laughs> we've done enough. We're gonna take care of our needs now. Can you see why that would be tempting? But we're not gonna give in to the temptation. Though we had to really struggle uh, husband and wife conversations. Um, we're going to instead divert spending from other areas of our life, and for the next two years, we will increase our commitment to Christ Church again. Why will we do that? Again, I'm only telling you this story just so you can go through this exercise for yourself. Why would we do that? Well, one reason for us is because God took care of us the last time we dared to be radically generous, and it has built our trust in him. The second reason is because the local church is the fount of moral vision and values our world needs. We're not perfect, but, but, but we are the salt of the earth. 
We, we play a, a light-giving role when we're healthy as, a, as people, the people of God. And we just think that there's never been a time in, in American history, in world history, when, where a vital local church is needed more than it is right now. We want to be part of that. We, we're giving this, this go-around because this is the place that raised our kids to love Jesus. And, and we want to see this church continue to have that impact on individuals and families because that's our future. We're giving and supporting this initiative this time because this community is our family. You know, the friends that feel like family to us that we wanna do life with going forward. And so we wanna help it be a vital church. We, we are committing because so many individuals and families and mission partners in the region and world around us, count on the generosity and the vitality of this amazing local church. We're committing because we wanna see thousands more people lifted toward their God-given potential before we're gone. We just wanna see it. We wanna be part of that. But I will say lastly, that for me personally, and I'm not speaking for Amy here, for me personally, it's also because I can't get out of my head the image of that powerful little pinky of Jesus against the wood of the blood-stained cross. How easily could he have flicked it all away? How easily could he have avoided further sacrifice? How quickly could he have withdrawn those outstretched arms? How rightfully could he have said, Father, I've followed you. <laughs> I've trusted you. I've prioritized you. I have surrendered to you again and again. But here's where the commitment stops. I'm not doing this cross. But instead... Jesus lifted, not just with one hand, but with both hands. And he continued the mission. He committed himself to the mission. So picture that, if you would. How from his thumb to his little finger, Jesus went all in to lift you and me to our God-given potential. And think about what it would mean for each of us to, in some small way, imitate that. Last uh, two Fridays ago, I was here in this room and, and we had this amazing special event. Um, and, and we had a, a group of families and individuals come to share in, in making a commitment to our LIFT initiative ahead of everybody else. We called it our Advanced Commitment Night. And, and it was pretty amazing to watch because some of the people who were there were making a commitment um, to Christ Church for the very first time and to the mission of Christ Church for the very first time. Uh, some people were weighing in at a higher level than they had ever done for any cause, much less uh, for a local church than they ever had. And out of a group of about 130, 130 households, we had... Uh, commitments made in the four, five, six, and even seven uh, figure level. 
We witness people committing to daring changes in their spending priorities, to sacrificial gifts out of stored resources in their life. We saw hands moving to lift other people up in the name and the spirit of Jesus, and it was just awesome to watch and so inspiring to watch. And these servant leaders were, in effect, modeling a movement that every single one of us can be part of and will not be sorry later that we did. And before I extend a personal invitation for you to do that today, uh, I just wanted to give you a quick glimpse into what it was like here on that night. Let's watch together. This lift commitment to me is a way to trust God more fully with what I've been given. To me, the commitment means just being sensitive to God and to what he's putting on my heart and how I can do my part and, and go all in. The commitment for me is seeing my community and knowing that I can support them through being generous to my local church. It's a chance for us to share the blessing that our family has received over the last 17 years. Our entire family has grown in faith and community, and we just want to extend that opportunity to people for generations to come. I feel like it's been a rejuvenation of our family's commitment to the church. It's reminding of us all the things that we benefited from and what we really are excited about happening for the future families. With two little kids, it's an opportunity to give faithfully to something that's really gonna benefit them. We had four kids together, but with those four kids, even more kids will come from them. That's our hope. And just generation upon generation upon generation, we hope Christ Church remains this day. We're especially excited that the children and youth of the church will get the opportunity to learn to follow Jesus in spaces that are updated and safe. It's an opportunity to share that God's lifted us in our lives and what he's done and share that with others and hopefully be that for someone else who may need a lift. I like the global aspect of partnering with people around the world and spreading the love of God um, to people even beyond Christ Church. It means growth. It means the church is growing. We're lifting each other up, helping each other, everything we strive to be. That's what it's all about. Yeah, that was just, uh, that was such a cool thing. And we had a, 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 other versions of this happen over the last week or two. We did this with our children. We did this with the teenagers of the church. And if you come back next week, you'll get a glimpse into some of the amazing ways that the young people of the church are modeling and leading out in a, in a really amazing kind of way. Um, I want to invite you to be part of this. And, and I want to invite 100% of all of us who call Christ Church our spiritual home to play some part in this. Again, it's always about according to your means, as God has enabled you. It's not about doing anything more than that. And if you're an absolute newcomer, we're not expecting you to, to, to be invested in this way. If you feel outrageously moved to do it, you're not going to get turned away. But this is really for those of us who call Christ Church our spiritual home. Uh, our hope and prayer is that this will be uh, something that is life-changing in the life of our church, both for those of, those of us who give and because we're giving. And I want to just quickly remind you why this matters. Through this LIFT initiative, um, we are going to be able to undergird the worship services, the, um, 
the growth groups, the pastoral care ministries, the servant programs of the church, the mission partner support uh, that goes out into the world, uh, all of the things that are our church's core passions, the Lift Initiative covers for two years. And it's really important to understand, that's what the majority of what Lyft is about, is doing the things we're already doing, but at a slightly higher level than we've been doing them. Uh, Lyft is also about making possible several special projects above those normal things. And one of them is to lift kids and families through a couple of really exciting initiatives. We want to restart our preschool to reach the youngest kids and, and, and support them in their spiritual life. We want to hire an all-abilities director that can help us do a better job of resourcing uh, individuals and families with special needs so we can put our arms around a larger uh, circle of people. We hope to renovate the facilities that, are, that support uh, the fellowship and education and worship life of more than 500 kids every single week. And I loved in the video the couple that talked about how excited they were about seeing that kind of environment uh, refreshed. They don't even have kids. They just know how important it is that we be helping uh, people grow up as disciples of Jesus and how strategic those uh, early years of life are. We also want to expand our missions impact above and beyond the, the levels that we are already committed to through our core budget. Uh, we want to establish what we're now calling a lift center that will provide a place of resource materially and spiritually for under-resourced children and families in our region. We want to begin to address a whole variety of deferred maintenance and infrastructure needs uh, that we've got on both of our campuses, and we're planning to lower our mortgage debt. We're hoping to bring that down so that we can, over time, free up uh, those monies to uh, advance more ministry and more mission. So that's what we're out after through the LIFT initiative. The number one thing, of course, is lifting our own faith in discipleship. But as you ponder the role that you can play in this, um, and, and what you're gonna actually put down on this commitment card that you've got available to you. And I wanna say to those of you who are online, if you go to lifttogether.us, lifttogether.us, you can click on a little button that says make a commitment and it will give you an interactive commitment card that, that works just as well as if you had one of these in your hand. Uh, but let me say a few things about the practical mechanics here. If you open up this card, you'll see there's a whole bunch of lines. Um, you do not need to get over-worried about the lines because uh, it's really just a worksheet for you to help uh, to create a process if it's, if it's useful for you. What matters most is that bottom line, that, that very bottom line, because the number that you put there represents your total sacrificial generosity what you pray by the grace of God you'll be able to do through 2023 and 2024 to support all that Christ Church is trying to do. All the regular stuff as well as these special projects. Let me say that differently. The number you write on that bottom line is your anticipated total giving for the two-year period, 23 and 24. All that you would normally give over a 24-month period plus the extra commitment that you're making to advance the aims of our LIFT initiative. And we're really only seeking one, one card per household. I know that, that for some of you, this will be the first time you're giving to Christ Church. You're moving from a spectator to a stakeholder role. And I wanna say thank you for that. We need you, 
And, and I pray God will bless you as you take that step of faith. For others of you, I know it's, it's probably the first time you're gonna be giving in a way that truly changes you, that requires a greater level of trust, uh, that really prioritizes God and his work in, in a significant way. You've given to charity before, maybe you've given to a church before, but this may be the biggest commitment you've ever made to God's work, and I so honor that step of faith, and I believe God will honor that step too. For a segment of us, I know that the number we're gonna put down it is the first time we've given to the church or a local church in a way that actually represents our capacity. Now, we've given nominally in the past, maybe, and we've always known we have the capacity to give at a, at a four, five, six, or even seven-figure level. We have that capacity. We just have never exercised it uh, towards the ministry that God does through a local church. And, and if, you're, if you're stepping forward in that way, bless you. Thank you for that. We need your capacity to do all that God is leading us to do. And for others still, I know this will be the first time that, that you've shifted your thinking. You, you've been in a mode, and I, I was there a long time myself, where I sort of gave God out of what was left over at the end of the month, at the end of the year. But now you're giving God the first fruits. You're prioritizing uh, his ministry and mission uh, through your commitment. I believe that pleases God a lot. That word uh, commitment on the card is a, is a good one. Um, it, it's, it's, it's basically saying I'm, I'm not just a spectator or a consumer or a dabbler. I'm an investor. I'm an owner. I'm a genuine steward of Christ Church and the fabulous work God does here. But it's also important that you know this is not a legal contract. We will not call your home and knock your door if the payments aren't coming in, so to speak, okay? This is a statement of faith. This is, your, this is an act of worship. This is your way of saying, Lord, I'm, I, I'm trusting you to, this is what I think you're asking me to do, and I'm trusting you to, to enable me to do this. I know we often have a tendency to say, God, you provide for me and I'll commit, you show me, and I'll commit. And God says, you commit, and I'll show you. I'll provide. You take a step of faith out of the boat, uh, and, I'll, and I'll show you how you can walk on, on this water. I, I know that um, this is not the first time we've done this. Dozens of times over the course of our nearly 60 years as a church, the people of Christ Church have reached like this and done over and above the normal thing. And it's, it's why we are the church of vitality we are today. I know that back at the beginning, there were just 82 households who in some cases took out second mortgages, but they went all in and, and, and they established this, this ministry on this corner that's now spread out to two campuses. Uh, it was an adventure of faith, and, the, and the, the, the faith adventure is a joyful experience. I, I hope you will not see this as an obligation, but as an opportunity to be part of what God is doing, uh, to lift others to their God-given potential. Imagine the thousands of other people who will be in heaven one day, who will be rising uh, in this world, even now, because of how you and I responded to the calling of God 
in this moment. We're going to give you a little time to think about that, to pray about that, maybe to talk with somebody you came with about this. Um, In a few moments, we'll come back and and share some final instructions um, with you. But I invite you to just use this time, this precious time, to come before the Lord and say, God, how do you want to use me uh, as part of your movement of grace greater than the gravity of life? Uh, So let's uh, enjoy a little bit of this music, and uh, we'll be back to you in just a minute. Thanks so much.